Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Barry, you're very welcome to episode nine of Scaling Your Business podcast. Good man. Welcome. Glad to be here. Absolutely thrilled to have you here. Look, for those who are listening, this is, this is your first time. Welcome. The Scaling Your Business podcast focuses on a number of what we've identified are the 13 blind spots that can otherwise hold help, hold back an otherwise healthy business. Uh, I go as far as saying there's actually 14, didn't include the 14th one, which is a pandemic. Um, but nonetheless, the blind spots we're going to focus on today are lead generation, tying corporate goals to personal goals, accountability, learned helplessness, and capturing best practices. We'll do our best at getting through all of them. Before I do that, Barry, for those who are not familiar with you and your company, why don't you take the mic for 30, 45 seconds to explain who you are? Well, I'm a CEO of a company called The Involved Group. We're based in Ireland, in Donegal. Um, we have a SaaS platform um, that, uh, that helps organizations that would typically have a deskless or distributed workforce like manufacturing or logistics, uh, people out in the road that wouldn't sit at a PC or a laptop every day to do their work. And what we help them do is we help them digitally transform the way they manage uh, that workforce through things like employee learning, internal comms, employee engagement, performance management, all in one, one single digital platform. But what we do isn't just a platform, like essentially what we help our customers to accelerate their own a specific digital transformation journey and we, we focus on the like technology solutions don't drive positive business outcomes it's an employee behavioral change that you're looking for um so we work with a lot of our clients to help them reduce costs reduce workload improve productivity by sort of uh, getting that change uh, implemented so we work with the likes of uh, coca-cola cadbury Kalina group baseline manufacturing white park a lot of uh, names uh, total produce companies like this um, uh, helping them on their, their whole digital transformation journeys. You've got an impressive list of clients for sure. And I love that you say that it's it's down to the employee, we call it behavior, attitude and technique and not necessarily the technology behind it. It's fascinating yes. the amount of new tech that surfaced, even if you look back in the last decade, but the um, number of uh, deals that close at a pipeline or open rate has not necessarily increased. In fact, it's 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 gone down. Um, so new tech or just layering on new tech upon new tech is not is not the answer. Lead generation first blind spot I want to start with. In Sandler, we have this term called a cookbook. Essentially, to break it down, it is a, a list of daily must do activities so that you keep your pipeline healthy so that you continue to hit your target. So, for example. I know that every single day when I go into the office, I, I have got to spend, I, I've got to send 100 email, in-mails because I've done the maths of my conversion rate from in-mails to meetings and meetings to new clients. I've also got to make 50 calls because again, I've done the maths. So it's essentially a breakdown of the maths that I, the basics that I need to do to keep my pipeline healthy so that I can hit my targets. The prospecting behaviors is what, what, what you might want to call it. In terms of lead gen, what are your top three sources for generating leads? Some examples, referrals, LinkedIn, networking. What are yours? Well, what do you call it? it's a bit of a combination of everything. Um, like sort of we've been doing this now for about 10 years uh, all up and um, tried loads of different things. Some things work, as you say, and some things don't work. 
Yep. Um, so a lot of our uh, a lot of our sales processes is sort of uh, through the years where like obviously you're looking for the the holy grail of the inbound lead. You're looking every software company or any company at all. It's it's magnificent when someone comes to your website over the weekend. You come to work on a Monday morning. Hey, presto, it's sitting there waiting for you to ring them. And yeah. um, it's sort of in reality, waking up that doesn't actually happen that often uh, unless you're uh, established for an, an awful long time and you're spending a huge amount of money to get that person to your website. And if it does, I'd be slightly concerned as well if someone's emailing you. That would send off signals in my mind going, oh, I don't know if they like if they're showing too many positive signs for me, that's a negative sign. Yeah, well, uh, any positive sign at all that has to be investigated and you look at it. Do you know what for I mean? Sure. You, you look at it because you never know uh, what's behind the covers until you take a look. Um, so a lot of our... A lot of we the stuff we do is based on like we kind of uh, look at the top of the funnel type marketing set side of things in terms of the brand. We we put an awful lot an awful lot of effort into our brand. Uh, for example, now coming up on the sixteenth of February, we're running a digital virtual conference uh, on transformation of HR and learning and development. Uh, we've put a huge amount of effort into that to generate leads and and visitors to that conference. So far, there's about I think it's about 1,500, 1,600 registrants Impressive. for that conference. And we have like speakers from Coca-Cola and My Park and a lot of customers coming just to share stories uh, with other people um, in relation to what their journey was like and telling the story. So like that is one source of leads, right? Um, we obviously do your traditional stuff as well in relation to your ad spend and LinkedIn's and stuff like this. But if I'm honest, we don't find that as effective as kind of more belt and braces type stuff. Um, but again, this is all learned through many months and years of trial and error of doing different things. Like um, a couple of years ago, we had an approach, we used to call it the fishing line approach, where we threw out as many fishing lines as we possibly could through in-mail, through LinkedIn requests, through uh, direct email marketing, all this stuff. And then says, well, we'll throw out as many lines as we can. And then once someone actually bites on the line, then we'll treat them like a fish. We'll try to reel them in with our sales process and tell them a story and try to sell to them. Um, what we found was we sent out an awful lot of fishing lines and the reward didn't sort of uh, didn't fit the effort that possibly went into that. So what we identified, this was a good few years ago, but what we identified was that the fishing lines in that analogy weren't personalized enough, is that it was a very generic message going out. So now we're, we really focus on much, much less, way, way down in numbers in terms of reaching out to people, um, but we focus on the personalization. So we really go to town before there's no outreach without reason is yeah. sort of the sound base that we have right um is that we don't outreach and try to connect someone unless we've got a relevant story that's relevant to them that we, so therefore we have to ask ourselves as a team and we have people within the involved team that, uh, that do this and say well if we're reaching out to a company or an individual uh, what is it that's personal to them um have they spoken at a conference that is aligned to our sales message have they indicated through the issuing of a tender have they done something that's indicated to us that they would be a prospective uh, prospect um, uh, to be receptive for the sales message or, or, or the solution that we can actually uh, deliver for them. And what we call that is, uh, you're probably familiar with the concept of an ACP, um, an ideal customer profile. Um, so we've defined what our ideal customer profile is. We've defined it into eight criteria. Um, so what we've said is that, for example, our ideal customer would have over 250 employees. Now, we have a lot of customers that are way lower than that, and we engage with them and have been very successful engaging with them. But we have other customers that have 10,000 staff. So what we've turned around and said, well, OK, what's the ideal customer? What what is the criteria of a customer that would say, well, OK, this morning I would love to talk to people with these criteria? And we broke it down. We come up with 12, 13 at the start, and then we narrowed it down to 
um, to sort of eight or so. And what we said, well, okay, they had to have a certain number of employees. Yep. Uh, they had to have a deskless and distributed workforce um, because our solutions are ideally suited to the people that would not be sitting at a PC. Um, whereas a lot of IT solutions are suited to someone sitting at a laptop or a computer all day. So we built all of our technology and our solutions around the, the non-connected, that non-desk type of an audience, which at the end of the day makes up about 85 to 90% of the workforce. It's, uh, it's the people in your manufacturing sites, it's your pharmaceutical, medical devices, food manufacturing, uh, retail, hospitality, uh, care industry, all of these industries. So that's the target audience that we go after. So what we identified was, well, they needed to have a certain number of employees. They needed to have, uh, they needed to be in an industry that we identified would have a large percentage of their, their workforce as non-connected, deskless, distributed type stuff. And then we got into the specifics. We said, well, okay, have they given us any sort of indication through their public personas, through the stuff that they have publicly made available, um, that they're interested in one of our uh, pillars? So we've actually got four pillars within our solution. There is a learning pillar um, to help companies digitize their learning uh, solutions and their learning uh, journey. We have an employee engagement pillar, so we help companies digitize the engagement side of things through the use of mobile phone apps or branded mobile phone app employees in our client companies would have their app on their phone so their learning plan and their engagement and their surveys and company news and everything is done uh, through the phone medium then there's a communication pillar within our solution uh, internal communication and sending out notifications and stuff and then there's a performance pillar which is the sort of doing coaching reviews and uh, talking regularly going, moving away from the performance appraisal once a year type of a structure so there's very very four very clearly defined uh, pillars and we have clients that engage with us on all four because they want to digitally transform absolutely everything the way that they manage their staff so they want to change behavior uh, from the beginning of someone accepting a job right through to the potentially leave the company and then with other clients that are just saying uh, that i want to digitally transform learning first of all and then we'll move on to the other uh, the other criteria so when we look at those pillars we say well in terms of identifying a lead, coming back to your question, there's no point in us going to talk to someone unless they're actually interested in one of those. Yeah. Right? So what we do is we have our research and we have our uh, tools that we use to research the internet, research the market, um, to sort of watch things to say, well, okay, is there an, an organization that would give us an indication that they have an intention to either purchase a solution like ours or be interested in at least hearing our pitch? Okay, so what we do then is once we've identified, and there's eight criteria um, that we've identified, and a company has to score five of them before we'll engage heartily with them. Okay, that doesn't mean to say that if someone scores two or three and they're very interested, we wouldn't talk to them. Of course, we do. But to actually say, well, okay, this is a company now that we're prepared to put into what we call our account based marketing uh, funnel, where we actually go after that company and say, well, we want to influence that company as much as we possibly can. So, what we do then is once we've identified and what we call an ICP, an ideal customer profile, we say, well, what, how do we engage with that customer now? How do we, or that prospect? How do we, how do we influence them, right? Then we're back into your traditional mediums of LinkedIn. Then we try yeah. to connect with them via email. Then we try to, uh, like, it's, it's, it's traditional, but it's trying to get people talking on the phone. Yeah. Um, what we try to do in our company is that we've never, we've never once sold our solution to anyone unless we got talking to them on the phone. Yeah. Uh, or like in the, in the current climate, like ideally you're sitting in the same room and you get a meeting with them, but that's not possible obviously currently. So if you don't get talking to the client on the phone or the prospect on the phone, you have no chance of selling to them. So what we do now, that's a critical point in our sales cycle is when, when do you get talking to someone and much effort does it take to get them on the phone? 
And once we've got them on the phone, then you're into the sort of the process of trying to tell them a, a story that would be relevant to them, that would give them an indication to say, Do you know what, I just want to learn a little bit more. I want to learn about what you've done with Coca-Cola. I want to learn about what you've done with total produce. I want to learn what you've done with Iceland manufacturing. Depends on the industry that they may be in. Um, so there's a load of different things there um, in relation to uh, lead generation. Uh, but what we've found is that sort of the, there's too much noise out there at the moment for yeah. mass. There's a, like sending out too much requests, too many uh, pieces of information, um, trying to sort of connect with too many people. Uh, we just found that it wasn't as you do get successful at that. Um, but we found more success by being uber personal by really thinking about who we're targeting as opposed to just going after everybody. And I said, Leon, this is, this is learned through experience. We've done it. We, we, for example, when we signed up our first few customers a dozen years ago, uh, they were happened to be in the food manufacturing industry. So what we thought then, as every company I'm sure does, oh, this client's in the food manufacturing industry. I've got a reference clients. Let's go after everybody in the food manufacturing industry. But those companies were never uh, on a, a sort of a change cycle. We spoke to an awful lot of companies that loved what we do, but just weren't ready to make a change. So now what we've tried to do is say that the leads that we're targeting, they have to give us some indication that they're ready to make a change. They're either thinking about it, they're in the market looking about it, or they're actually putting out a tender or something like that, where it's a very, very strong indication that they're, uh, that they're interested in. And making a change so hey it's 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 a it's a mixed bag but a lot of it is yeah. it's, it's 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 what do you call it? it's uh it's practical stuff at the end of the day you won't sell to someone unless you get them on the phone and you'll only get them on the phone to talk to you if it's relevant to them at that moment in time i agreed you need to get them on the phone and that's what we always strive for as well you mentioned that there's a lot of noise also agree and i love that you've narrowed down on your icp by identifying four key pillars um, I'm assuming that you've got very specific messaging for each of those pillars. The latter part of that I want to bring up on is at the earlier uh, part of the answer to my question, you mentioned that you have a heavy focus on brand. How do you target all four of those pillars? Uh, do you have like uh, a podcast for, let's say one of your pillars is leadership. Do you have a podcast for that? And then an event like you have for HR, um, it's very hard to be specific on uh, all four uh, and attract their attention. I, I don't know if you're trying to get what I'm, if you get what I'm trying to say, yeah. but you've got four pillars and you're trying to put out a messaging, but you need to be specific to get the attention of each of those pillars. How do you do that with your brand? Well, essentially, the sort of again, this is through learning of doing this for a number of years. A few years ago, we would have taken the approach of target uh, all of the messaging, all of the what's the phrase, all of the sort of the, the reasons why a client should or a prospect yeah. should implement our solutions into one overall message. And if I'm honest, we sort of struggled a little bit with that because it was so broad. We had clients buying uh, our solution because they wanted to get rid of all their paper in the manufacturing. They didn't want uh, one of uh, one feature set that we have and what we do for clients is we have a tablet-based solution that um, helps get rid of an Excel matrix and loads of people signing sheets of paper and no more filing cabinets. Um, so that was one solution. Now they use our tablet for e-signatures and filing cabinets are gone, paper, paper records are gone, uh, all this sort of stuff. So um, what we tried to do then was we brought this into one big, uh, one big message around the concept of workforce excellence. So we thought well, the way we marketed our brand at that stage was we had a workforce excellence platform made up of four pillars of learning, communication, engagement 
and performance. What we found that, that that was successful to a certain extent, um, but what we found was that uh, it was very large companies that bought into that concept because they understood uh, a journey of operational excellence. Therefore, workforce excellence fitted that narrative very, uh, very effectively. But then we, they, 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 at the smaller scale, the sort of sub 1000 employee level, they made that message in terms of brand didn't resonate as well with that, that audience. So coming to your point is that that audience was interested in one of those pillars. And at six, for example, it was learning. So we identified then that trying to talk to a large company of three, four, five thousand staff just about learning. A lot of the time that those types of companies already have a learning solution in place. Yeah. They already have a learning management system. So we're trying to displace someone else, and that's very difficult. Okay. Not impossible, and we have done it, but it's more difficult than a green field. Um, so whereas the smaller company may still be using Excel a lot. So uh, what we ended up doing was we ended up having a lot of pr uh, product marketing type events and a lot of product uh, focused uh, resources and digital assets, which would, okay, if you're interested in learning, then we can talk to you about learning. Our case studies and our references and our testimonials are all based around learning. If you're interested in internal communications, for example, then we have case studies that we will talk to you around internal internal communications. But um, as, a, as a medium company, that was one of the sort of teething or the little sort of growth pains that we went through was that as we transitioned from a pretty small company into a medium-sized company, uh, what we found was that we were offering more, which opened up more market opportunities, but then the message can get diluted if you're not careful. Because then it's, it's rather, I'd rather be uh, uh, sort of a, an expert in one thing rather than being a jack of all trades. And if I'm honest, a few years ago, we probably fell into the jack of all trades a little bit. We could do a little bit of everything. And our marketing and our branding matched that. Uh, we had different product names. We had sort of different sort of positioning for different products, all, all under the Envolve umbrella. Uh, but three years ago, then we said, look, it's just Envolve. We got rid of all the chaff, got rid of all the, the different product names and said, this is just Envolve. And once we made that decision, the branding became so much easier because now we're just marketing one brand, which is Envolve. And then everything else falls out uh, from, from behind that. But um, it's, 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 an ongoing, it's an ongoing effort. It's like someone said years ago, I heard was that marketing is like a little wheelbarrow and you can put loads of stuff into it. But unless someone picks up the handles and runs with it, then all it is is a wheelbarrow sitting full of ideas. Yeah. So you, have, you have to push it. Do you know, someone has to run with it. So it's, a, it's an ongoing thing, but it's, a, it's, it's getting us to where we are right now, which is uh, we're very content and happy with our growth. Um, but it's a, we're always looking for more. We're always looking to do it better. It's continuous improvement all, all the time. That's awesome to see. Some people don't agree, agree with me on my next point, and you might be one of them, but I'll say it anyway. Um, I believe that the intent behind an event matters. I'll give you the example. You've got a HR event with 1,500 people registered coming up. I believe the intent behind that matters. In What I mean by that is if your intent is to generate leads over creating solid content, you'll be more focused on registrants rather than delivering a really good experience. I focus more on making sure the experience is top quality. We've got a studio upstairs that we go to when we're doing training sessions, good lighting, good audio. We'll bring in guests. When the experience is good, word spreads fast. Rather, focus on, rather than focus on driving as many bums to seats, virtual seats in this world, as possible. Two-part question. One, agree or disagree. And two, 
how do you, what has the impact of running events had on your business, the brand of your business? Have you seen any uh, dollars or euro as a result of running these events? First one, I partially agree with you. Okay. In terms of the sort of the, the thinking through the event. And again, this is like sort of, we've done numerous events now. So we've got better and better and better as we've, as we've done them. Right. Um, so it's not as if we've got the magic ingredient and we knew it right at the day dot and we didn't have any learning curve ourselves. Right. So uh, the first couple of events, we probably took the, the sales deals, the, the pipeline, the lead generation approach. Okay. What we found then was that, and it comes back to the point that I made before, we hadn't clearly defined our ICP. So we were just focused on getting bumps on seats, right? Um, so what we focused on was like sort of getting loads of people to the conference, like sort of as long as they kind of fitted our job title, then that was reasonable success for us. But then when we tried to uh, follow those leads through and, and monetize them, okay, uh, in terms of trying to sell her and uh, tell our story to them yep. thereafter, like sort of the conversion rate wasn't as high as we wanted it to be, okay? Um, so what we identified then was that sort of said, you know what, virtual events like these, it's actually, a, it's a, do, you run, do you run an event like this to build your brand or do you run an event like this to generate a lead? Okay. We took the approach then quite, quite early in the afternoon events that we would focus on the brand side of things. Okay. Because if, if you focus on the brand, the lead will happen, but it'll, it'll take a bit of time for the lead to happen if you do a successful branding exercise. So what we found was that if we uh, uh, coin in your own phrase, that if you really focus on the quality of the content of the speakers, making it relevant for the people that are coming along, you may not sell to them. And the attitude may not be that you're trying to sell to those people two days after they've attended the event. So we're not shoving sales message down people's throats. Yeah. Um, we're looking for feedback on the event. We're trying to make the event much better. So that we're building our brand. And because we're selling, like our solution is a business to business enterprise SaaS solution. It's, um, it's a solution that sort of, um, it, it takes an enterprise decision to implement it, okay? So it's not a sales cycle that you meet someone on a Monday and you can close the sale by the Friday afternoon. There is a, there's a decision-making committee involved. There's multiple silos within the companies. There's typically the HR team would typically lead it. Um, but then the C-level would have to come in at some stage into the discussion. IT get involved, finance get involved. Uh, sometimes when we're dealing with manufacturing operations, the quality team and the technical team get involved because we help them digitize uh, continuous improvement processes within the teams in terms of ideas and generating and, and digitizing all of that. So the events, to answer your first question, it's, it's the, uh, we focus on the brand now, but the leads do come thereafter. Yeah. Okay? And then it's a matter of uh, working through on the lease because as, uh, as every company, uh, particularly in the early stages when you're bootstrapping or you've, uh, you're trying to sort of grow your business, it's cash flow that grows the business. And you don't get cash flow from building your brand. You get cash flow from generating customers who pay you fees for your, for your solution. So at the end of the day, you have to the draw from building a brand over to lead generation is always there. And it's a very, very strong pull. Um, and the smaller the company I find is that you have to generate the leads because it's the leads that will keep the lights on that will allow you to hire the new business development reps that will allow you to grow your business and scale your business. Whereas when you get a little bit of scale behind you, you can actually say, do you know what, like we can afford to spend X amount of dollars or euros on a, on a virtual conference event. And it doesn't matter if we don't monetize them for three, six or nine months, but because you believe that you will monetize them at some stage of the journey. Um, and that's kind of where we're at. Uh, we're at at the moment. You mentioned to me uh, 
prior to coming on this around uh, length of time of uh, the podcast, and, and, and you've this is not your first event that you've ran, the one coming up. So you've you and uh, you seem to take uh, what you've done and learn how you can improve upon it. So I'm curious to know the world changed a year ago and. The clients that we work with, or majority inside sales teams, you work with those that aren't in the office. What have you seen that's changed in terms of from your client's end when it comes to learning? How have you as a business changed in delivering that training uh, attention span-wise, technology-wise? You could reference as an example the upcoming event you have, the things that you're doing from a world that where we were playing in was majority in-house. Now I know that you're not in-house, but what have you seen that's changed over the last 12 months? There's obviously like a very rapid shift towards digital learning. Okay, because hey, the bottom line is you say, look, classroom training, um, and we partner with some uh, classroom training providers, helping them digitize their content so it can be delivered out electronically through your typical LMS type of uh, route and helping them monetize that. Um, but the uh, the reality is people don't sit into the classroom. One of our... Uh, one piece of our technology actually is a, it was the very first product we developed or I developed myself about it must be 14 years ago. And it was a little keypad clicker system. Um, it was uh, a bit like who, who uh, wants to be a millionaire when they ask the audience A, B, C or D. You know? uh, yes. But it was actually turning a PowerPoint presentation into a who wants to be a millionaire quiz. So you deliver your slides, but then everyone would have a keypad, blah, blah, blah. It was great fun in the classroom. Like sort of the sales of those almost stopped because nobody was actually doing any more classroom training. Yeah. Uh, so therefore, we were selling a solution. Uh, well, luckily at that stage, when COVID hit this time last year, um, luckily at that stage, it was a very, very small percentage of our overall mix we'd changed away from that uh, a good number of years ago. But for a long period of time, that was our core revenue driver. And um, we're fortunate that, this, that that wasn't the case when COVID hit, okay? Yeah. So a lot of companies now, what we'd find is that sort of, uh, like, yes, they've moved digital, right? But let's not forget the, as I mentioned at the outset, Rion, is that, 80 to 90 percent it's a very very high percentage of the global workforce and this includes ireland the uk and everyone else is that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to work from home yeah. a lot of our clients have uh, they still people have to come into the factory they still have to come into the manufacturing site they still have to drive the buses they still have to drive the lorries uh, and the transport and things like this so i think it's 80 to 90 percent plus of a global workforce doesn't sit at a pc they're actually deskless in nature, okay? Um, so our solutions have been geared towards those guys. And what we found is that from a training perspective, enough, not an awful lot changed. Those people still had compliance requirements that they needed to fulfill, either from a food safety standpoint or from a pharmaceutical regularity standpoint, they still needed to do the training. Um, but what we found was that sort of when people did move home, it, was, it became very blended. Um, organizations like Coca-Cola or Iceland Manufacturing, what they would do is that everybody came to the location. So now what they had was they could run a classroom. Some people could do the courses uh, in the classroom. Some people did it at their station um, on a tablet or whatever, but it was all under the one roof. So what we, what we found was that the largest percentage of our employees' workforces, their roles didn't change substantially. The training still continued on the same way that it's always trained, but now they have to have a blended approach because the people who could work from home were working from home. So now they couldn't get, they couldn't fill up a room with 10 production operatives and two people from the office, right? That's the way they used to do it. Yeah. So now it was, it was giving them solutions and uh, techniques where they could do a much more blended approach 
to fulfill their learning requirements uh, as opposed to sort of saying, yeah, let's use all classroom or yeah, let's use all e-learning. It was very much a mixture, uh, a mixture of the of the two. But hey, there's you see it there. Uh, like I get so many junk emails coming in trying to flog LMSs and e-learning solutions and solutions for the modern workforce and all this sort of stuff. I think people are just fed up hearing that now. Um, it's like sort of, yes, the world has changed. Um, the training and the, the way people, organizations digitally engage with their their employees has changed, but uh, it's all good um, because a lot of these changes now are permanent because uh, like one of the big things that we do for our clients is when we actually do our value proposition and we do our return on investment. And when we actually give a price to a client, it's we tie it right through to the end of the journey. Once we give a price to a client, as part of that uh, analysis before they make their decision, we work uh, work with them on a return on investment uh, report. Um, we give them a very clear return on the investment. That figure then on the return on the investment, be it five times X or six times X, that's actually built into our solution, into the platform. So every single month, uh, the client can log in and see that return on the investment getting closer and closer and closer uh, to what was promised to them at the uh, at the very start. Um, so it's changed, but uh, it's... It, it, it was changing anyway, but from yeah. our this customers, we, we didn't see a huge shift. They still had to do all the stuff they did this time last year. See, that's interesting because from, from my world that I live in, our clients here in, in the Irish franchise are Salesforce, Zendesk, Microsoft, a couple of those corporate things, but 95% of them were working in the office and now they're working from home. So for me, the world completely changed to flying to London to do a session to then Dublin. Now just, I'm in a small village in County Meath in Rotosa and I've just been stuck here since. So it was a complete uh, 180 degree flip for, for our business. Interesting that uh, that I live in that small of a world that 80% of the rest of the, the, the workforce uh, hadn't changed. The I... I I want to keep this conversation around uh, Lee Jen, and I know we're coming towards the end of it, but one question I did have for you, you you've mentioned technology a few times. I want to, I'd love to know how you capture your best practices, so whether that's so that you can look back or if you, almost like a blueprint that you can hand to a new hire when they're coming into the business as well, say, this is what works best. This is how we do things so they can get up to speed pretty fast. How do you capture best practices? We have a we have a process. Well, on a weekly basis, for example, we have a, a Monday check-in meeting. Uh, so the whole team jump on a, a call because even though all of our clients, um, their workforces are deskless, still coming to the locations to do their work or whatever, we as a company have all gone remote. So we've kind of we've kind of straddled both. Yeah. Um, all of our team are actually remote. We haven't been in our offices in uh, in Letterkenny now in twelve months. Uh, I go in once every two a week to pick up two weeks to pick up the post. That's all I really do. And uh, like sort of, uh, so there's been a big change from our own technology, but we're a SaaS technology company. That transition for us was quite simple. We were already using Microsoft Teams. We were already using web conference stuff. So like transition ways, it wasn't as uh, as difficult for us. Um, but in relation to best practices, that's one thing we initiated right at the very start was Monday mornings, guys, a big heads up. What are we doing for the week? What was your goals for, what was your, uh, sort of uh, input and what? how did you get on last week in terms of meeting uh, different objectives or metrics that we set for individual within the team so everyone can see that everyone's still doing what they need to do because it's it's one big part of the whole. Everyone knows where they fit in, okay? We have a coffee check-in then uh, as well on a Friday just at a half past 12, just uh, what's the crack type of a, 
uh, conversation. Like sort of don't really focus too much on uh, on the business side of things. But uh, what we've done then as well is from all of that, we kind of had this pre-COVID anyway, was that uh, we've got what we call the, the Envolve Sales Manual. Okay, so marketing and sales and marketing, only about 12, it's 12 slides um, of a PowerPoint slide deck. I update it every January or before if I need to, okay? Um, and what it is, is basically, right, here's the team. First slide um, on, the, on the thing, it says, this is the team. Here's where everybody fits in. It's a bit like lining out a Gaelic football team. You're in goal, you're the fallback line, you're the midfielders, you're the forward line, okay? And this is what you need to do as a goalkeeper. This is what you need to do as a defender, right? But if the defender doesn't do a good job, the midfielder's job is obsolete, okay? Uh, or the, uh, the, the full forward's job is obsolete. So everybody understands exactly where they fit in, right? So, um, for example, we've got uh, a guy on our team who's responsible for the brand. Um, he does all of our digital events and focusing around building the, building the brand. We have another uh, people in our team, uh, more people in our team that are focusing on finding ICPs. Okay, so they focus on identifying the companies. So they are researching, using tools on the internet, reaching out to people, trying to trying to score organizations that would give us an indication that they would be receptive to what we're uh, what we're all about. And then we have people that take those ICPs. They're the midfielders. Okay, they sort of go and say, well, they're now reaching out to these people, and that's the that's sort of. Uh, and um, where the success comes from is trying to reach out with a personalized message to get the people uh, to listen to our stories and to hear the benefits that we're uh, adding to a lot of our other clients. And then after that, we have a we have a customer success function that basically focus on making sure that customers adopt uh, and use the technology that they've bought into so that we can go back to them uh, at a stage in the future and say, do you remember that value I promised you 12 months ago when you signed up an agreement with us? Do you remember the figure I put on the proposal? Well, guess what? There is the figure. It's not what I got. It's not after 12 months. That is a conversation that happens every single month, right? Yeah. So it's not this big uh, figure at the end and say, hey, presto, guess what? Um, it's an ongoing conversation to make sure then what that does then that focuses the customer. It focuses our team to make sure that we're always adding value. Right? Because if we add value, we can reduce cost, reduce uh, uh, increase productivity, all the things that we promise our customers. We're prepared to put our neck on the line and say, well, we're not only just putting this in a document to try to sell you uh, an AT solution. We're going to deliver this. Our team deliver that. So the manual outlines the whole uh, responsibility of the team. And then we go into a little bit more detail and we say, well, okay, what is the criteria for an ACP? How are we going to find them? So if I was hiring someone for that particular role, as you mentioned, then I could say, well, okay, this is the manual. This is, this is our definition of an ACP. This is how we find them. Then we've got uh, a, a, just one slide. We keep this very simple. It's, one, it's not a big training document that uh, you have to read through. It's one slide. If you're in the new business development team, this is what we suggest you do. This is our roadmap. Um, you try to connect with someone on LinkedIn, you send them an email, you may get their email address, send them an email, but do not under any circumstances bombard them with two, yeah. three, four, five. Do not under any circumstances set up a HubSpot sequence with seven emails, one after the other. Um, because what you do then is you actually have a counter negative effect. Because as I uh, believe is sort of, and it happens to, it happened to me this morning twice, right? Everyone gets spam, right? Yeah. Uh, it happened to me twice, and I, I personally use my Outlook and my inbox as my to-do list, okay? So once I've done my tasks, whatever, they stay in my inbox until I've said, well, that is done now. So if someone sent me a request or whatever I need to do, so my inbox is my to-do list. So what I find is that um, I've got my to-do list down every Friday down to two or three emails. I'll, I'll sort that next week, right? I come in on a Monday morning, 
and somebody somewhere has sent me a bit of spam and guess where that spam email has landed right at the very top of my right at the very top of my to-do list and I didn't give you permission to land at the very top of my to-do list yeah right so now I'm getting a little bit pissed off right um so we we just ban those uh emails those master lists of emails we sequence think they're totally counterproductive um and then sort of so the customer success side of things again well how do you how do you what is our road book or what is our playbook for customer success it's like well it's like uh, making sure you communicate once a month making sure you understand the value make sure the customer right from the outset is bought into the roadmap that you're going to implement for them make sure that you've actually clearly defined what good looks like in six months time and 12 months time in the eyes of the customer so that you can go back 12 months time and say guess what do you remember that time we envisaged what good looks like we're now here we've helped you get from there to here and that helps us as a company then and like i got uh, an email in last week from uh, a prospect that we're working with uh, quite a large company which was a fantastic email to get on a friday evening it was actually just last friday where um, the head of the head of learning development uh, basically said that uh, the involved team was amazing it feels like the two people that are working on the project work for our client and not more involved um, and they're really looking forward to a global rollout of our technology um, and they sent that email to me as the CEO and founder of the company, just in case the two people that are on the team didn't feel that I would get noticed. They would get noticed. And this came from someone very senior. And those emails are like gold dust. I, I know I found it off last Friday with a tremendous smile on my face that two members of my team were given that good of impression out there, which is kind of the culture that I want to uh, instill into the team is that add value. Uh, convince, show customers that we're not just going to tell, sell you a technology solution. It's not about um, too, too many times, and I've been involved in projects with IT, too many times they fall over um, because the expectations at the start was that they were going to change the world. Um, but technology solutions, in my eyes, don't change, don't drive positive business outcomes. It's a change of employee behavior that does. So we focus our efforts with our clients on changing employee behavior. And then the technology will uh, will follow suit. So that all fits into a playbook. Yeah. And then I've got there's other things in the playbook. There's an I call it an appendix of five or six slides or six slides. So if you're doing a, I'm sure you're familiar with spin selling. You know, like your yes. your situation problems, all that sort of stuff. So we've got a little bit of techniques on questioning. And if you're doing questioning to try to get to uh, an understanding with the client, then these are some questions for like that you can pick from a list that will help you get up to speed on that. We have the. Um, there's a, a six six stage sales cycle that we use, which is psychology of someone to buy stuff. And it's all about change. The first box being, I have no desire to change. The next box being, well, I'm thinking about changing and is it worth it? The third box is, I'm definitely changing and I'm deciding who to change to. So there's a little, mo a little model that we uh, use in relation to that. So when you're talking to someone, you can understand, well, is this person, which box are they in? Um, yeah. And then well, that will tailor your your approach to how you approach them. Because if someone's, if you find after talking to someone for two minutes that they're in box one, yeah, that sounds like a great solution, but we are not really in the market for change. Then you can say, well, that's great. You know, I'll keep you on a, on a newsletter or something if that's okay with you. And, uh, and when you're ready, reach out to us. But then you get someone that maybe is nice and far down the line and you've engaged with them right at the right moment. So that's, that's the magical sweet spot. And it ain't always easy to land on the, the magical sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, psychology. Well, that's what our uh, Sadler's built on the foundations of it. Um, you mentioned L the L&D directors, the great, the good news. And that's awesome to hear. Something that, that I've seen other people do before 
with LD is they celebrate the wins. So let's say you have a weekly session with your client. You start with a checklist. One of the things you've got to do is you've got to get someone on the call to give you a win that they had that week. And then that's taken and sent to the LD directors so that they can share around the organization and the wins are celebrated. So it kind of cements your brand within that company and keeps you in there. Barry, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Great to see that your business is successfully growing. Not only that, but you also live in a beautiful part of the world. So life can't be too bad uh, no, up, bad. up there. Uh, yeah. There's snowing out there at the moment, but it's uh, quite nice. Amazing. Well, look, uh, I'll. is there anywhere I can find that link to the HR event you have next week that I can link? On our website, um, if anyone's interested, the event's on the 16th of February. Um, yeah. sort of, uh, so it's uh, there's time. I'm not sure when you're publishing this podcast. I'm assuming you're publishing in the next few days or whatever. So Yeah, the end of January. All right, so it's the 16th of February coming up, 2021. Um, so uh, there's a, web, a link on our website. Um, so if you just go to the nvolvegroup.com, nvolve spelled N-V-O-L-V-E group.com. Um, so if, uh, if anyone wants to uh, register, it's a free event um, so they can come along and uh, register the free event and even if they don't, if they're listening to this podcast after the event, then if they do come to the website, there will be a section there because we obviously use all the content then and make it available uh, thereafter, so if there's any particular panel discussions um, that are happening on that day that you've missed then they'll be recorded for people to, to check out after the event And if anybody wants to get in contact with you or your team and not end up on your to-do list how do they do, do such Send me a personalized email. Well, if you're a customer, you can call me any time of day. But if you're trying to sell me something, send me a really personalized email and tell me why you want to uh, or what the value is to involve of your solution right from the get-go. Um, so uh, we can cut through the chaff and sort of say, well, if it's for us on that sort of approach, then we can have a conversation. But if any of your listeners are interested in having a deeper conversation on how we can help them digitally transform any part of their HR learning engagement, internal comms or performance and stuff, then if they're on our website, um, they can request a demo or request a callback uh, from the website, or they're more than welcome to send me a direct email. It's Barry Harper at involvegroup.com. I saw you did have a, a, a case study. I'm assuming you have more than one. I'll link them the direct link to the case studies they can check out as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a LinkedIn profile. If you do a search on LinkedIn, you'll find us and you'll get us, uh, you'll find us that direction as well. Amazing. All right, Barry, thank you very much for being my guest today.